Okay, Philippians chapter 1, and this is actually the fourth week now that we've been studying on the topic enemies of the first century church. Ever since April, we've started the series entitled Becoming a, a First Century Church. And our goal is not to be a 21st century church or to be relevant or to be cool as much as it is to be biblical. So we've been trying to look to the word of God and to study these things out. And the topic that we're on now is enemies of the first century church. If you have a handout of notes, we're almost to the very end of that. And I don't have very much more to fill in, but they've had blanks in it that you can fill in and then you can add more notes on the side or on the bottom if you choose to. So instead of doing way of review, I'm going to go ahead and jump right on forward in to the message tonight. Number one, enemies of the first century church, we said was Satan. Satan hates God. Satan will inevitably hate and attack that which God loves. And the Bible says that God loved the church. Jesus Christ died and he gave himself for it. So the devil will attack the church of God. But number two was people. Satan inevitably uses people. And that's what we spent the last several weeks looking at was different people from within, from without, who sometimes they were in the government that were openly hostile to the church and persecuted them. Sometimes they were people who were afraid of missing out on the money that they had been earning through idol worship and those things. And sometimes the people were those who the church thought were their friends that then at a later time ended up pivoting and turning and betraying the Apostle Paul and the other people. And before we move on to number three, which is strife, enemies of the first century church, number three is strife. I have one little note on last week's Bible study to clarify as we go to move forward. We read the story last week from Acts chapter number 19 about the people who got upset that people were getting saved and turning from idol worship and the craftsmen who made the idols were losing out on the money they would make from the people going and purchasing those graven images. So they got mad. They stirred up all kinds of trouble. And in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 35, it mentions the goddess Diana and it talked about the temple and that which was false fallen from heaven. It said fallen from Jupiter. Um, so I got a little bit of the details of that wrong. I was reading last week as I was getting ready to speak on that aspect of the Greek mythology. And I said that Artemis was a god that went alongside of Diana. And I think I even called Artemis he. But Artemis is the Greek equivalent of the Roman goddess Diana, so they're used interchangeably there. And I think I even read from some people that they said it was a way to try to make peace between the Romans and occupiers and between the Greeks there at that city, where they said, well, look, your goddess is basically the same as ours. We just call her by a different name. So they had one temple where they all came and worshipped the idol, and then the Roman goddess Diana, they believed her father was Jupiter, which would be the equivalent of Zeus. So when it says there in verse 35 that the stone or whatever it was was fallen from Jupiter, it meant not just that it was fallen from the sky, but from their false god. So anyway, it wasn't the main point of the story, but I got the details a little mixed up on that last week, and I wanted to clarify that for accuracy's sake. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27. 
The book of Philippians is a book where the theme is joy and rejoicing. If you study it out and take a highlighter, you will look and find in every chapter at least one point to mark where the Apostle Paul is talking about joy and rejoicing. And this church had a great testimony and they were a source of great joy for him in his ministry. They had unity, they loved him, they prayed for him, they gave to him on his missionary journeys, and he was thankful to God for this church. Look at what he says in verse number 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Then this is what he says he wants to hear how they are doing. That ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I believe this would be the key verse for Paul Chapel's ministry that's called Striving Together Publication. Some of you may know that for sure. But he says three different things. Stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, and striving together. What he's describing here is he wants to hear a good report from this church that they had unity that they were in one spirit, that they had one mind, and then that they were striving together, all of them working in the same direction for a common goal, which was the faith of the gospel, the good news. That word gospel there means good report or good news. And the Bible uses the term gospel to describe the teachings that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid our sin debt, and if we repent and have faith in Him and ask Him to be our Savior, He will save us. We will become a part of the family of God. And an enemy of the first century church and of every church throughout the ages is strife. I'll have more to say about this in just one moment. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels and mercies. It's a little bit comical uh, to us today, but that word bowels refers to spleen or the intestines, and like today that we would say heart. The heart is just an organism that pumps blood. That It isn't really the center of our emotions, but we've equated the heart with the soul and with our inward desires, and that's what that word referred to there in that context. In the Old Testament, sometimes in the King James, you'll see the word reigns, and it's used in that same uh, type of context as you would say your heart and your innermost being and your affections and it's actually referring to your kidneys is what the word means. So it's just funny how that at different points and times in history they had different terms to refer to that but that's what he, he means. He's talking about that innermost desire for love, for unity, for mercies. Then he says this in verse number two, fulfill ye my joy. There's a way that you could fulfill the joy of the apostle Paul and this is what he says. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Here again, he describes unity. That there's a church of born-again believers that come together weekly, gathering to sing praises to the Lord, to pray, to hear the preaching and teaching of His Word, to break bread and share meals together, to share their lives together and their prayer requests, and bear one another's burdens. And he says, it would give me great joy to know that you're like-minded, you have the same love, you're of one accord and one mind. People from diverse backgrounds, people from different races, 
people from all types of social economic status and wealth and amount of money and possessions they would own that would come together for one common goal to glorify God and to spread the gospel. And as I'll say more about in a minute, surely they did not agree about every single little thing there was under the sun to agree about. But nonetheless, they came together for a common goal and they all pushed in the same direction and had unity within the church of God. Verse 3 describes how we can have this unity. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. There is the word strife. He's telling the church, don't let anything be done through strife. And that was an enemy of the first century church. Or vain glory, which would be taking pride and glorying in or being puffed up about something that's vain and that's empty. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here he tells the church in verse 3 and 4, if you want to have unity, don't do anything for your own glory. Don't do it in strife against another person. But in lowliness of mind, you esteem that the other is better than you. You don't think that you're better than anyone else. You don't be puffed up with pride. But as the Apostle Paul himself said, Jesus Christ is come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said there's a lot of sin in the world, but I look at my sin as the worst. I love the other person, esteeming them better than yourself. And then in verse number 4, it tells us, don't look on your own things, but look to the things of others. This is what God has called His church to do. This is what God has called Christians to do. Not to be worried primarily about ourself, about our position, about our glory, or our needs but rather the needs of others. Church is a place where we come to be fed. It's a place where we come to eat. We studied and looked where it said that the overseers of the church were told, feed the sheep. Timothy was told, preach the word. Be instant, in season and out of season. Part of coming to church is that hopefully we are fed by the word of God. And if we weren't being fed by good content from the Bible, then church wouldn't be a place that we would want to go to to grow spiritually. Because that's the point of the gathering is that we're taught the word of God and we learn it. But we also should have the mindset of being a part of a local New Testament church that we're not just going there to consume, but that we're going there to serve. We're going there to love. We're going there to look out for the needs of others. And if we will take this mindset and make this goal of serving God and loving others, then we can have the kind of unity that God desires for His church to have. To sum it up into transition, he says in verse 5, have the same mind that Jesus Christ had. Then he goes on to explain that though Jesus Christ was God, He was equal with God, He chose to humble Himself and become obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. And what he's saying here is that if Jesus Christ Himself would humble Himself and choose to be under the will of the Father and to die for our sins, though He was God, though He was equal with God, though He was perfect then how can you or I complain about being asked by God to give up our rights, to not primarily be on the lookout for what I deserve or for what I can get, 
but rather look to love other people because that's what Jesus Christ Himself did. Look down to verse number 15. Verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. What is that? It's strife. You come together, it's inevitable. How many of you where you work, you've seen what you could call murmurings and disputings? The boss says, all right, here's the schedule. Here's what we need to do. And one person says, well, how come they get that schedule? I've got more seniority. And how come this? That's not fair. And then they complain and you go back and forth. And whenever human beings in our sinful state come together to try and work together for a common goal inevitably there's going to be some of those murmurings and disputings. That's complaining and that's arguing. But he says in the church of God, this is his direction, that you do everything without complaining, without arguing, without disputing. Verse 15 says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither have labored in vain. Uh, Jason, would you read Psalm 133 for us in just a moment? You can turn there if you'd like, or just listen, and Brother Jason will read it for us. It's only three verses. I'm going to let you go ahead and turn there and read that for us. Yes. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing to be the light we preached a sermon with that as the text, and it, it talks about how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and to be joined to another local independent New Testament church where there's unity. And it says it's good and it's pleasant, and it compares it to a couple things. Like the kings were anointed, and like Aaron was anointed in the Old Testament, and the oil would run down his beard, and it would be this beautiful smell that would come from that expensive anointing oil that they would pour out. And then like the dew that went out over the mountains and cooled everything down in the summertime and made it green and made it grow. That's how God says it's like when we have unity in the church of God. It's good. It's pleasant. Philippians chapter 4. I'll have just these two verses and then I want to stop and talk about this for just a moment. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. He's been talking about joy. He's been talking about unity in this letter to the church. And then in the middle of what he's saying, he stops and he says, I want you to tell two different women in the church something specific. He doesn't say in general to the whole church or to all the women in the church or to all the men. He calls two of them by name. And he says, I want you to beseech them, remind them, entreat them, encourage them. What? That they be of the same mind in the Lord. 
Why would he single out these two people? No doubt it was because there was something that they were having strife about. There was something that they were arguing about. That's why he would stop and name the two names. And he says, just entreat them that they do what? That they have unity. That they be of the same mind in the Lord. This is a spiritual work. This is something we do for God. Not just because we don't like conflict, but because God has directed us to try and lay aside our differences and our offenses and our disputes and to lovingly try to work in the same direction with another group of believers for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. It was a, a couple years ago before I was even pastor of the church and my wife had a friend that was talking to us and the lady said, well, yeah, we're praying for your church and we hope that the Lord will send you more homeschool families to be a part of your church. And I, I thought about that and I thought, yes, I hope we do have people who homeschool their kids that want to come be a part of our church. But when I started as pastor, I said I want this to be a church that's not just designed for one group or for one certain type of people with one background. But I said I want to be a church for people who are conservative and have been to conservative churches like this in the past. For those who homeschool their kids. But for those who used to go to Southern Baptist churches and they just saw Baptists on the sign. And they like the style of music and preaching that we have here. And they want to be a part of what the Lord has going on. For those who have no church background at all that are a little bit rough and that need some help and that want to be a part of learning about the Bible, I want this to be a place where we're not catering to one group, but where the doors are open to anyone who loves Jesus or who wants to learn the Bible. And we say, you can have a place here. You don't have to be just like us or have the same background that we have. You are welcome here in the church of God. And we want the church to welcome everyone and to be united around the fact that we love Jesus and we love His Word and we're going to stand for the truth of His Word. I said when I preached on Psalm 133 a couple months back, we want unity, but unity does not mean lack of diversity. Unity doesn't mean that we all decide to be 100% the same in every aspect. Rather, unity means that though we do come from different backgrounds, though we may have different preferences and opinions on matters that are not central to the truth of the gospel and clear in the Word of God, we decide to come together, lay aside our differences, and all push in the same direction for the glory of God and for the spread of the gospel. This is not a church where to be a part of it, you have to take a loyalty pledge to the pastor and agree to believe exactly like I do on every single point. Some people come to church, a lot of people come to church because they, they the, the pastor is important because they want to know the preaching and the direction. But there's some people who will go to a church and they don't particularly really even like the pastor. They, they'd like it if he did things differently, but they go there because they have friends there and because they like the music and because their kids have friends. And you know what? That's okay too. I, I have a lot of responsibility in the church, but I'm just another person in the church like you are. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. I do believe that the pastors have the responsibility to watch and to guide the church and to make sure that there's not false doctrine being brought in and being spread among the people. In Galatians 2, 4, and 5, it talked about false doctrine that was being brought into the church. And the Apostle Paul said, we gave them no place, not even for one hour. He didn't give a platform for someone to teach something that was heresy. He put a stop to it. 
But I don't believe it's the job of the pastor to try and enforce uniformity among the people who attend on every single issue and to try and force people to carry out in their own homes what they believe the Lord would have them to do. I believe someone can come into this church and disagree with me personally on a whole lot of things. But if we're in agreement on the fact that the Bible is the Word of God, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He is the only way to heaven, and the virgin birth, and on and on we could go about those things that are clearly taught in the Bible, that are those bedrock fundamental positions. We have to have agreement among those things, because they are the truth. But someone could have a little bit of a different opinion on exactly how the sovereignty of God matches with the free will of man. Though I have my beliefs and I'm 100% clear on that. Someone could even have a different opinion on Bible translations and exactly how that is carried out. About when the rapture is. About, well, did the church start with Jesus or did it start on the day of Pentecost? Who was Melchizedek? What was going on in Genesis chapter 6? And a hundred other issues. Some of those vary in importance. Some people believe things that are, are very different than what I believe in, but they're still telling people that Jesus is the Savior of the world and that He is the only way to heaven. And if you believe that, and if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then you're my brother in Christ. And we at least have something in common, that we can at least love each other and pray for each other. But we could have different opinions about so many little... Some of those I mentioned are big, but some of them can be so many little things that if we were to all have the exact same 100% opinion and interpretation of every single one of these questionable Bible passages, well, then there might be something wrong. Because usually when that happens, it's just because there's one man who's telling everybody what to think, and they're not really thinking for themselves. But as we strive to be students of the Word and be like the, the Bereans who studied the Word of God, we're going to have some disagreements over some teachings in the Word of God. But that's okay. We can unite, like I said, around the bedrock principles of the Bible and the gospel and of Jesus Christ being God. And we can show each other some love and some grace where we have different opinions. Unity does not mean lack of diversity. It's actually a beautiful thing when there's a diverse group of people from a lot of different backgrounds, but who choose to unite in the gospel. We preached about that too. There in the first century, there was so much racial ten tension and hatred, and the Jews hated the Gentiles, and the Gentiles occupied and persecuted and hated the Jews. And the Samaritans were a mix of Jews and Gentiles and were hated by everybody, and they hated everybody themselves. Jesus went to the woman at the well in Samaria and she said, How is it that you even talk to me, being a woman, and that I'm a Samaritan? They wouldn't look at and talk at them because there was that racial animosity. But then you had Jesus Christ introduced into the first century church, that time of the world. And you had people, some of them Jewish, some of them Gentile, some of them Samaritans, come together. And love each other. And when they were being persecuted and some of them couldn't work and they were going to starve, another one said, I have property, I'll sell it and I'll help give to you because you're being persecuted at this time. And what they did was they showed the world around them that Christianity was real and it was genuine and it was different. Because as Jesus Christ said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. 
the hallmark of Christianity, the thing that makes not other Christians look at us and say, wow, you have a good testimony. Jesus said the world, those who are not saved, will be able to tell that we are truly disciples of God if we love each other. Christians loving other Christians in unity. That shows the world around us we have something that is genuine and something that is real. We can serve the Lord together, even in this church, if we have some disagreements on different things, so long as we are united around what really matters. My mom grew up in a church where she said that when she was a teenager, she had several different vivid memories, either as a child or a teenager, where on a regular basis they would have a church business meeting after church. And they would be trying to talk about, I don't know, whatever it was they were going to do. Some people it would be about what color is the carpet on and what are we going to spend money in? Is the pastor doing a good enough job? Or whatever it was that they would argue about. And people, she said she had a vivid memory as a child in church of people standing up in front, yelling at each other and screaming because they were arguing about stuff that should come way down the line in importance in the business of the church. I have no idea if it's true or not, but I heard someone claim one time there was a bunch of fighting in a church and families and people taking sides and the church split into two different churches. And they said it could be traced all the way back to somebody's baby bit another baby's, another family's baby in the nursery. And over the smallest things, the devil can throw a wrench and disrupt and set back the church of God years because we can take our eyes off of what's really important and begin to argue with and fight one another. There was a man who did an online video, Bible College. I did a little bit of it at one point, and actually when I became the pastor, that's when I stopped because my home time with still working the other job, I gave more to studying for sermons, but I still take in some of them every now and then. And he was talking about his history as a church planner. And he was saying that there was someone who was upset in his church and who had some problems, and he was telling him, I want to have a business meeting about one, about this. And he said, not one of those real quick business meetings where you just say something and we vote and we're done. He said, I want a full-blown business meeting to talk about this. Full-blown business meeting. He said there was another time where there was someone who had a lot of complaints and he said, all right, we'll let you speak. And the man got up and he started talking about what was wrong with the church and things that he had problems with. And and the pastor sat off to the side and he said he let him talk for four or five minutes. And he said, I can't just sit here and let you talk for the whole church service. And when he said that, someone who was sitting out in the congregation stood up out of his seat and started walking at the pastor. And he said, let him speak. So he said, all right. He just went and sat down and people were complaining and fighting. But then he said by the end of that one, everybody was crying and hugging it out and promising to start over and to do better. And one man said that he was visiting a friend at another church and he said, well, after church, you can just stay if you want to. We have a real quick business meeting and then we can go to lunch or do whatever. And the argument got so heated that someone stood up on the back pew of the church and threw a songbook at someone else in the auditorium. Unfortunately, these things are not so rare. A lot of people will be able to tell you who've had a history in church, especially depending on the denomination and on how they do their business, that sometimes in the church there is strife and it gives the church a bad name and a bad testimony and it hinders the work of God. But the goal for God, God's goal for the church is that we have unity. Not that we'll agree on every issue, 
but that we pull in the same direction. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. We finish up Bible study by 8 o'clock every Wednesday night, so we'll definitely be done by then. But we'll pivot a little bit and we'll talk about that though there is a call for God to have unity, that that doesn't automatically mean we're going to agree on every single little point. And sometimes it's okay that we separate from someone else, not because we hate them, but because we both just continue to serve God the way that He has called us to do. Actually, Acts chapter 12 And verse number 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. Okay, so here, the the reason I read that verse is there's someone in the New Testament whose name was John, whose surname was Mark, sometimes called John Mark in the Bible. Look at verse number 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Okay, so the Apostle Paul went on missionary journeys. He traveled around to different cities of people who did not know the Lord, and he preached the gospel to them. And as Jesus taught them, go out two by two. Don't just go do your own thing. There's always a lot of wisdom when you're attempting to do a spiritual work or deal with someone in going two by two. You have another witness there. You have someone else to help you in case you forget what you're supposed to do or say. And like I said, you have another witness in case you're accused of something false or whatever the matter may be. So Barnabas was one of Saul's missionary partners, and they took this younger man with them, whose name was John Mark, and they took him to train him and have him help them in their missionary journeys. Now let's continue the story in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 2. Verse number 1 tells us this was the church at Antioch, and that there were certain prophets and teachers. Then it continues in verse 2. And they ministered, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And then it says, and they had also John to their minister. So who is it? It's Paul, it's Barnabas, and it's John Mark who is going with them to help them. Now let's look on to Acts chapter 13 and verse number 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And here, the point while we're reading this, is there marked a point in the ministry of the Apostle Paul where he had a disagreement with Barnabas. They both were apostles. They both were preachers. They both were ordained, sent out by the church. They both were preachers. But they began to have a disagreement. And their disagreement was over this, that as they continued on their missionary journey... John Mark said, I don't feel like doing this anymore. I'm going back home. And the Apostle Paul got upset. He said, we've taken you under our wing. We've trained you. We're in the field. We're doing God's work. You don't just up and go home because you feel like it. Was Paul right? I think he was. I think John Mark left off and didn't follow through on their commitment. Okay, but this leads to... 
a disagreement a couple chapters later in Acts chapter 15. And verse 35. Acts 15 and verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, and some days after, it's saying after time had passed from their ministry in Antioch, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. That sounds like a good idea. We're going to go back to these other churches we planted, these other towns where we preach the gospel and minister to the people, and we're going to check in on them and see if they need exhorted, see if they're getting off track, see how they're doing. The next verse, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark back and give him another chance. The Apostle Paul says, he quit on us while we were on the battlefield. I can't trust him. I don't want to take him with us. Verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, confirming the churches. The disagreement was so sharp that finally they came to the conclusion, you know what, let's just go separate ways, cover different territories, Barnabas, you can take John Mark, and I will take someone else. Sometimes separation is necessary. I think it's okay and actually healthy that sometimes what happened here in this text was that they both went onward. It wasn't that one of them hated the other one. It wasn't that they quit serving God. They just said, let's part ways and continue to serve God. Me going this way and you believing it's God's will for you to go that way. And sometimes there are people with whom we may not be able to agree. And we wouldn't have them come preach in this church. Or we wouldn't be part of their ministries because we believe they've taken a direction that's not right. Or they're wrong on some main things. But it doesn't mean we have to hate them or spend all of our time talking about why they're wrong. We have a lot to talk about here in the Bible about what's right. Without always trying to prove why someone else is wrong or why we are better than they are. And I think that sometimes it's okay to say, I'm going to turn my shoulder to the plow and serve God. And I'm going to serve God in my lane over here. And there's another brother that's going to serve God in his lane over there. And we're going to be kind to each other, love each other, and pray for each other. But sometimes separation is necessary because we're not going to agree on everything. And the Old Testament is at Ecclesiastes. I think it says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, sometimes it seems like people will take that verse and say, well, you don't wear the same color ties as I do when you're preaching. And how can two walk together except they be agreed? We have to separate. But when it comes to something that important, and like what happened here with Paul and with Barnabas, they lovingly decided it was best that they go their own way and continue to serve the Lord in their own places. Now, the interesting note is that later on in time, the book of 2 Timothy was written, 
And this verse is printed at the end of your handout. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says this, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. At this point in time, the Apostle Paul had to look back and say, John Mark is a profitable servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? He probably said it's a good thing that Barnabas gave him another chance. Barnabas was right. Because the Apostle Paul himself used to be named Saul. And you know what he did before he met Jesus Christ? He persecuted the church of God. He put Christians to death. And at certain cities, they were afraid to receive Paul because of his past. And other people had to vouch for him and say, The Lord has opened his eyes. The Lord has saved his soul. You can trust him. He's been genuinely saved. He's genuinely changed. You can receive him as a brother. But he got far enough down the line where someone else had made a mistake. And he didn't want to give him another chance. Anyway, it's an interesting story in the Bible and a good example of how we should give people grace, love them, give them a second chance, but also an interesting illustration of a disagreement that sometimes leads to splitting off and going different ways. Galatians chapter 2, I think, is where we'll finish up here tonight because we're almost out of time. This example is not so much a disagreement as it is, Peter was doing something wrong and the Apostle Paul was bold enough to confront him to his face and to say, you're treating people wrong, you're not living according to the truth, so you need to correct it and you need to change. And the point here is that sometimes confrontation is necessary for the cause of the truth. In Christian love, when we talk about unity, we don't believe about you, we, we don't believe in unity at all costs. In other words, well, love and getting along is all that matters. No, the truth matters. Standing up for what the Bible says matters. Galatians chapter two and verse number eleven. Paul says, "But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed, meaning he confronted him to his face one on one." Because he was wrong. Verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So this is what I was talking about earlier. It's that racial divide and tension and the Jews and the Gentiles not getting along with one another. And Peter knew himself that God saved the Gentiles the same way that he saved the Jews. And he made us all into one new family of Christians. And he was sharing meals and fellowshipping with the non-Jews, though he himself was a Jew. But then... When other came from James, others who were Jews, who were, it says here, of the circumcision, meaning that they were telling people, you have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law of Moses. You either can't be saved or else you can't be right with God unless you're keeping Jewish tradition and Old Testament law, which was a false doctrine. God does not call us all to be Jews. God calls us to be saved and to unite around the gospel. And when those Jews came in who wanted Jews to be separated from Gentiles, Peter was afraid of them. He bowed to peer pressure and he separated from the Gentiles altogether and wouldn't have anything to do with them. Does that please God? No. Paul said, you're wrong. You're to be blamed. And I'm going to confront you over this and call you out. None of us should be afraid to have friends 
that sometimes tell us we're wrong. If it's someone who will never be willing to look and to lovingly call you out and to say you're wrong here, then they're not really our friend. The Proverbs tells us faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. In other words, it's better to have a friend who will wound you sometimes and hurt you when you need it by telling you the truth than to have an enemy who only gives you flattery, but they don't really have your best interest at heart. Verse 13, And the other Jews disassembled, disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. The other Jews were following his example and were separating from their Gentile brothers and sisters, believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, can someone read verse 14? Who would like to do that? Jason, thank you. He was saying, Peter, you don't even keep the Old Testament law perfectly. You're not a perfect Jew, but now you're separating from non-Jews who just got saved? You're wrong. He, the point is that I'm making tonight is that he was willing to confront his brother in Christ. He did not follow unity at all costs. He stood up for the truth. Um, that word there at the end of verse number 13, how, would, how do you say that, Jason? Dissimulation, it means hypocrisy. It means deceit. And that's what he was calling him out for, was being a hypocrite and causing others to be hypocrites by separating from people who weren't even Jews that weren't keeping Old Testament law. And by the way, if you want to know what that would have been like, what a burden that would have been placing on the Gentiles who just got saved, go read Leviticus. Go read those Old Testament passages where you couldn't wear a shirt that was of a mixed fiber. You couldn't eat shellfish. You couldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. And he's saying it's wrong for you to put those expectations on Gentiles who just got saved. Verse 15 and 16, and I'm done. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace. We're saved through faith by repenting and turning to Jesus Christ to receive that salvation. So the whole message tonight ended up being on the topic of unity, and that's all that I have for you tonight. Thank you for your patience being out here in the middle of the week when I know you all have busy schedules, the heat, and everything else that's going on. Before we dismiss tonight, did anyone have another prayer request to add or any thought or question or anything? Uh, Olivia, yes. Okay. Sorry to hear that. It was uh, Olivia's uh, aunt has passed away. So be in prayer for the family and for Olivia's mom and those who are grieving. And then the travel restrictions make it even more difficult. So I'm sorry to hear about that. Um, yes, Jason. Um, sure, we can do that uh, after we pray. Correct.
there's been so much fallout from this time and that lack of travel and a lot of depression and everything is added on to. So a lot of people that need our prayers. Anybody else? Anything at all? Thank you for being here. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry. Can you remind me your name one more time? Samantha. Samantha's family has been having some difficulties. So if we could be, please be in prayer for them and uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, all of those things. Thank you so much for that prayer request. We will definitely pray for them. All right. Let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer. And then uh, if Rachel will play for us and Jason will pass the plate in case anyone had an offering and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you again that we could be here in your house tonight, that your word is good. May we have a goal as a church to overcome the enemy of the church, which is strife. May we strive for unity and love one for another. I do pray for these prayer requests that we've added that Lord, as Olivia's aunt has passed away, and this is no doubt a hard time on Olivia's mom and all the people who knew her. Lord, we pray that you would give grace and comfort in that situation and also for samantha's family that you would be with them through this time that lord you would bless them and give them peace that only you can give we love you and we ask these things in jesus name amen god bless you